Welcome to Pullback. I'm Kristen Pugh, and I'm here with Kyla Hewson. Hello. Trying to be a good person can be an overwhelming uh, thing in our complex global marketplace. In this podcast, we try to make it a little easier by looking at the details behind consumer movements, product labels, and ethical lifestyles. Each episode, we challenge ourselves to try something new in ethical consumption. Then we tell you what we learned, fuck-ups and all. This episode, we're looking at alternative milks. So we'll start by explaining what alternative milks are, and then we'll talk about the challenges that we did. And finally, uh, we'll talk about what you might want to think about when you're choosing an alternative milk. So cool. Should we get started, Kyla? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Everything you said and also more. <laughs> Let's do this. Okay. So yeah, I think you did a lot of the research here. I was tempted to just let you do all of the research and then I would be the lovable comic relief on this episode. But oh my God, is it easy to fall down a rabbit hole on the milks topic? Yes. Holy smokes. <laughs> so I'll let you get started and then I'm going to chime in with stupid questions um, as we go along. Perfect. Uh, so alternative milks are milk and milk products that are made from plants. They are also sometimes called vegan milk, plant milk, or non-dairy milks. And uh, some have used the shortened form alt milk because everything has to have an alt now, I think. Um, so I, we may refer to it that way as well, just because it's a little faster. So the market for alternative milks is growing rapidly around the world. Uh, American non-dairy milk sales increased by a whopping 61% um, in the last five years, according to market research. So really a like, quickly moving area. They're becoming much more popular. I know I'm drinking a lot more. Yeah, me too. Um, and you can find them a lot more easily now. Like All the big coffee chains have at least one alternative milk, usually a couple. Do you mostly use it in like cafes or what, where, where are you using alternative milks? Oh, Kristen, I'm not fancy enough to go to cafes ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just me being too bougie to function. <laughs> well, and when I do, maybe I'm too bougie because when I go to cafes, I just drink my tea without milk. <laughs> Ooh. I'm like, black, please. Uh, so when I have my alternative milks, I'm buying them and using them in oatmeal. <laughs> nice. Love it. So the most popular alternative milks are almond and soy milk. Um, in 2018, they had about 80% of the market share, so they're kind of dominant. And of the two, soy milk was sort of the OG non-dairy milk. Um, it was first sold in the United States in the 1950s, so it's been around for a really long time. Have you had soy milk, or what's your alternative milk of choice? Well, I'm a big fan of oat milk. When I was living in the Love UK, it. I started drinking <laughs> Oatly, and I was like, this has changed my life. It tastes so good. Yes. But I can't find it now that I'm back in Canada, which has made me deeply sad. <laughs> yes. Oatly, I don't know if it doesn't exist in Canada yet or whether it does, but it's just sort of only in a few places. But uh, we'll talk a lot about them. Yeah. I haven't checked the uh, local Whole Foods yet. I've spent the last uh, so I've only just gotten back to Canada and I spent a lot of my time hanging out in Salmon Arm, BC, which does not have <laughs> a lot of selection. I'll be honest, although it is gorgeous. And now that I'm in Vancouver, I'm going to go on a little bit of a hunt. But the last time I bought some alternative milk, I just went ahead and bought like a cheap rice milk. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and I think I have, I've never actually purchased oat milk itself, although I have used it in cafes. But the, the alternative milks I've bought before are soy milk and almond milk. So just 
being that traditional marketplace person. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've tried soy milk and I think I'm not a huge fan of the taste. I mean, you get used to it, but I just never really, I never really loved it the way that I've fallen for oat milk. I'll just yes. say it that cheesy way. <laughs> it's yes. As we've mentioned, uh, uh, soy milk, almond milk are sort of the big ones. The new entrant to the market is oat milk and we're not sort of the only people that have jumped on the oat milk train. It's actually a really rising member of the market, and it looks like it may actually become the sort of go-to alternative milk in a few years if the trends keep continuing. I mean, it swept me off my feet, so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Kyla's in love. Uh, so <laughs> there are lots of other alternative um, milks, though. So pecan, cashew, quinoa, hazelnut, rice, coconut, pea, and like there are zillions of others uh, lots of different alt milk, alternative milks that you can make. What I discovered is that you can actually make milk out of anything. I learned that doing this episode of this podcast. It turns out that not only is it really easy, but you can basically make it out of anything. And I was like, oh, who knew? <laughs> can you soak it and blend it? You can make an alternative milk from it. <laughs> so the alternative milk market is really growing. Um, so it reached $18.5 billion in the U.S. in 2018, and it's expected to basically double by 2024, which is, I think, pretty impressive. So, But for me, anyway, it was really surprising to find this out. I had thought that the alternative milk trend was really being driven by Western countries, so Europe and North America, but it's actually the fastest growing demand is in Asia Pacific. And uh, Kyla, I think you you know a bit about that from your travels, right? No, I wish that I had learned this while I was traveling. It would make <laughs> me seem so much smarter. I learned this on this episode, but I was looking up kind of like the health benefits of obviously dairy milk versus alternative milks. And I found in the United States National Library of Medicine website that approximately like 65% of the human population has a reduced ability to digest lactose after infancy. Mm -hmm. And this varies wildly depending on your ethnicity. So Northern Europeans have a way easier time statistically than East Asians, for example. Like I think like 90 or 95% of Northern Europeans can drink dairy milk, but it's like 10% of East Asians can drink it and not get sick. So I didn't know that statistic that you said earlier, but I am not at all surprised that Asian markets would be getting it on the alternative milk train since normal milk makes the tummies hurt. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you had, um, you told me just informally in our friendship <laughs> that you saw a lot of alternative milks when you were in Asia. That's like, am I misremembering that or? <laughs> no, probably you're just giving me a lot more credit. I probably <laughs> noticed it and then just made no connection Amazing. whatsoever. But yeah, I did see a lot of alternative milk. Certainly it's very popular in the UK, but even when I was in China, I did see quite a few milk alternatives, but I, I like, again, thank you for giving me credit for putting two and two together. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. As we've sort of mentioned, ethical concerns aren't really the only reason that alternative milks are taking off. Health concerns and the inability to digest cow milk are two really big reasons that are driving it. Having said that, though, sustainability is a top reason that people are starting to move towards alternative milks as well. Um, and another reason, of course, um, 
going back to sort of the OG soy milk uh, market is uh, vegans, right? <laughs> or people that are sort of aspirationally moving towards a plant-based lifestyle, even if they may not be fully vegetarian or fully vegan. Yeah, what I love about this new trend is that you can find alternative milks in like the trendy places of the supermarket, whereas before you had to go down like the dusty sort of <laughs> the hippie cre- aisle. Creepy, yeah, the <laughs> aisle that's like that. there's one light bulb blinking and <laughs> nobody goes down there except for really old people and and hipsters. <laughs> yes. And now, now you can find alternative milks, you know, in the freezer. So with normal milk, I love it. Yeah, it's great. Um, so some major alt milk brands that you might have sort of recognized before, you might have seen in the store. Um, so Silk is an American company. It actually self-describes as one of the OGs of dairy-free, which I think is cute, but <laughs> is maybe proof that the term OG has become way too mainstream. Uh, so <laughs> Silk has been producing soy milk since 1996. And at least in North America, you can find their non-dairy milk in most supermarkets. One sort of interesting thing is that they're no longer just soy milk. They uh, do almond milk, oat milk, coconut milk, cashew milk, all kinds of things like that. So they're sort of recognizing that there is this broader suite of alt milks that people are moving into. Gosh, when I say alt milk, I just, I don't know. Anyway. Well, when I was listening to another podcast, and I wish I could give them credit, so I might have to cut this because I can't remember the name, but they called them schmilks, which delights <laughs> Schmilks. <laughs> hey, future Kyla here, just popping in to say that was from an episode of Science Versus by Gimlet Media. I will link to it. And Kristen, you're going to love it. It's absolutely full of puns. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so another thing that um, another brand that you might recognize is Almond Breeze. So they're made by Blue Diamond Almonds, which is actually a California-based almond cooperative founded in 1910 that just sort of moved into almond milks because they recognized a market. So it's not just uh, like hippies that made a lot of money. And then Rice Dream is another sort of long-standing alternative milk brand. And it's from an American organic and natural products company called Hain Celestial. So they're really sort of big, broader brand. And then Rice Dream is one of their products. Um, some newer entrants you might recognize in the market. The first one is Oatly. Um, <laughs> Kyla's favorite. <laughs> I love how hip their branding is. They're always they're they're really catering to like millennials, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Me too. As a millennial, I love it. <laughs> you know, they're just so funny. They're they have so many good jokes on their packaging, and I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> You are dialing right into what makes me want to spend money with you. So I'm falling right. I, they've got me in the palm of their hands. Whoever's doing their marketing is a genius. Absolutely crushing it. Um, so Oatly is a really big one. Uh, Califia Farms. Uh, they're a Californian company that makes almond-based dairy alternatives. So they make not only milk, but also cold brew coffee. Um, and that's kind of a trend that I've noticed as well um, as somebody that frequents Whole Foods. Um, see, I'm too bougie to function. Um, <laughs> but uh, you can you definitely, if you look in their sort of drink aisle near where the kombucha is, they always have these sort of new cold brew with alternative milks or like elixirs with alternative milks. It's not just the milk itself anymore. It's also like fancy $8 drinks with it as well. So 
they're big. There's another California brand called Newborn Newbarn Organics that you might have seen. An American pea milk company called Ripple Foods. Uh, then there's a UK brand that's uh, starting to be big in the alternative milk market called Innocent. Um, so they were a smoothie company and they recently started making alternative milks. If you've been in an M&S in the UK, you've definitely seen Innocent Smoothies. I definitely have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I don't know, I don't can't remember if I've tried it. I think if maybe they make yogurt and I've tried their yogurt, mm. but they I could be completely mistaken. I cannot remember. <laughs> mm, I've never had an alternative yogurt. Maybe we'll have another episode on that. <laughs> Or I'll I'll just really fuck up making yogurt. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. Ooh, I think I accidentally made yogurt with one of my milks, but we'll get into that in the challenge part <laughs> of our episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'll just go through two more companies. They are both Texan companies. So Muala is a company that makes almond milk, oat milk, and banana milk. They also have a very cute logo, much like Innocent. And then the last one is Malk, um, which is another Texan company, and I appreciate their name a lot. Um, and they make nut-based milks. I like when people lean into stupid names. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, We're just going to own this. Yeah. And the real headline with Malk, other than their um, stupid but so like bad it's good name, uh, is that they also make maple pecan milk, which sounds amazing. So. Oh, that does sound really tasty. I Really wish uh, for that particular thing that I lived in America because I would love to have myself some maple pecan milk. That'd be great. Well, hopefully this shout out from our podcast makes them, their sales go up so much they decide to expand. Send us free milk. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, we're going to expand our market into Canada now thanks to <laughs> pullback. <laughs> that goes to all of the possible alternative milk makers, including people at home that just have blenders send me your alternative milk milk (laughs) (laughs) Um, so do we want to talk about our challenges yes uh shall you go first or shall i i think you should go first uh yes do it. <laughs> okay. I, I went a little hardcore on this one. So we decided to surprise each other with our challenges. And I was reading the notes that you put on the Google Drive. Um, I should probably mention at this point, for anyone who doesn't already know, Kristen lives in Toronto and I live in Vancouver. So we're doing this over Skype and a lot of our notes are shared via Google Drive. Shout out there. <laughs> So I was looking into our the notes that you had done, and I was like, wow, she's done a lot of work, and I have just started. I noticed that you had written that alternative milks could be made from a bunch of different things, basically uh, grains, legumes. I don't even know how to pronounce that word. Is that right? Legume? I think so, yeah. Okay, great. If you're not correcting me, then I'm going to keep going with it. Uh, <laughs> seeds, nuts, and all just miscellaneous, which is what I've all put coconut under. <laughs> Miscellaneous. <laughs> <laughs> coconut, I tr- okay, this was a whole rabbit hole. I I seriously fell down this whole thing where I was like, does coconut fall under fruit, nut, or seed? And the answer is it qualifies as all three. So coconut is my miscellaneous section. So I went ahead and made a milk. It's from- really the Omni-Alt milk. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> so I went ahead and made a milk from every category because I just felt like going like all out. And also because I just came back to Canada, I missed bulk barn so badly that I was like, let's do a big bulk barn shop just to treat myself. (laughs) (laughs) 
Something else I also considered doing for this challenge was my dog just had puppies. And I was like, oh, can you milk a dog? And the answer is <laughs> yes, but don't. <laughs> for several reasons. Uh, one, it's super gross. Two, the puppies don't like it. And three, the mom really doesn't like it. I don't know this from experience. I did not try to milk my dog, but I did Google it. So Google history is going to think that I'm going to get some weird ads. Yeah, I sure am. (laughs) So I didn't follow any recipes exactly. I checked out multiple top Google results and blogs for each one. And I've gone ahead and kind of put my own spin on each of the recipes. I went to do chickpea milk first. And that's when I realized that you have to soak chickpeas overnight. So whoopsie, I turned around to do my pumpkin seeds. And same thing. So I was soaking the pumpkin seeds and the chickpeas. And I decided to check on the others. And yeah, it turns out you have to you have to soak a lot of the stuff. So I was like, oh, already this challenge is a little bit more difficult than I thought it was. Uh, I put the pumpkin seeds and the chickpeas and the cashews to soak. And I went ahead and did my barley oat milk first. Nice. <laughs> uh, and the reason that you've got to soak them is because there's like a little bit of acid on the outside of them that can hurt your tummy. Um, it's called phytic acid. And I might be saying that wrong. I hope our scientists correct me. But I went ahead and soaked them because I was like, ooh, I don't want to hurt my sensitive tummy. Barley oats. Right, here we go. Deep Googling revealed that I bought rolled barley flakes instead of hulled or pearl barley. (laughs) And uh, I guess I'm making porridge instead of milk. Whoopsie. But I went ahead and did it anyway. I followed an oat milk (laughs) recipe, uh, which was literally just one cup of oats to three or four cups of water. Except uh, oat milk recipes are for whole oats. So like I said, I basically made porridge. My bad. It just made it more difficult to milk through the like cheese cloth. You know (laughs) what I mean? It was just really difficult to do with my flat barley. Mm -hmm. I also had to blend it like three times. I kept straining it through the cheesecloth and then thinking, hmm, this seems really watery and then doing it again. And so I I actually made it really thick by accident. Uh, It came out like, which is fine. Actually, I used it in my oatmeal for the next few days and it was, it was really nice flavor, but I don't know if I would just drink it straight. My dad put some in his coffee, Uh, you know, shout out to him. Thanks for doing that, dad. He thought it was fine at first. And then he was like, "Mm, actually, no, which is how he felt about my cashew milk too in the end. (laughs) (laughs) True hero. Yeah. He's a 100% carnivore. Like he would never switch to vegetarian or veganism, but you know, shout out to him. He'll try it. (laughs) We went to A&W and I made him try the Beyond Meat burger. It's nice of your dad to try though. (laughs) Yeah. He took one bite and he was like, yep, that's all right. And then he passed it over to me because I said that if he didn't like it, I would eat it. Supportive dad. (laughs) So my barley milk turned out okay. Then the next one I did was my coconut milk. And when you type in the phrase coconut milk recipe, it does not give recipes for making coconut milk. It gives recipes for using coconut milk Mm -hmm. in like cookies and stuff. So I had to type, like I had to do some really specific Google searching, but I ended up finding something basically workable. I mean, basically, I took the coconut flakes that I bought and blended them with water and strained them through a cheesecloth. I sure all of the other recipes that I looked at kind of like <laughs> implied that that would work. And it did. And it was really tasty. And I would say this was one of my favorites, except that and I think you maybe know what happened here, but I had not I had no idea what to expect. The next day, the 
like, I don't know, solid part of, none of it was solid. I was blended totally <laughs> smooth. But then the next day, the top part of my milk was rock hard. And the bottom part was like water. So I accidentally made cheese. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> do, you, do you buy coconut milk ever? No, I buy coconut water. Because <laughs> that's exactly what happens in the cans. You have to like shake it. <laughs> oh. See, and I had no idea. So I was like, why? I So it was kind of, so I just ate some of the chunky bits because I was like, oh, I've made coconut cheese. <laughs> and it was not so bad. Uh, I, made, I remixed it up and then I tried to turn it into ice cream and that did not go super well. I kind of turned it into like a bit of a, like a shaved ice sort of situation. That's nice. It still sounds refreshing. Yeah, it was okay. I mean, it was basically, I put so much sugar in it that it was definitely edible, <laughs> but it wasn't what I was hoping for. I think I would, if I did it again, there are a couple of things I would change, but overall, you know what? It was a cool learning experience. For my pumpkin seed milk, I put in a pinch of cinnamon and nutmeg. To kind of like give it a pumpkin spice sort of thing. Love it. Uh, I also read a couple of recipes that were like, you don't need to strain this one. It can just be like a thick, like a smoothie. False. I don't believe that nope, at all. <laughs> it was extremely Lies. pulpy. <laughs> uh, I had to eat a lot of that one with a spoon. <laughs> it was Gross. most like, I don't know if maybe if I blended it for 20 minutes, it would have made a difference. But it was very much like there was chunks of pumpkin seed in my milk. And I would recommend blending it like, uh, sorry, straining it if that's what you're looking for. But you know what? I didn't mind it. If you like your milk chewy, you know, this is the one. <laughs> Who doesn't like their milk chewy? Ugh. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I think I gave a little bit of a shout out to the cashew milk dad. Dad didn't love it in his coffee, but for the ones that I was drinking straight, this was my favorite. I put a little bit of honey and vanilla in it, so I could mm, just have a glass of that. Sounds nice. It was okay. Yeah, it went really, it went nicely in my oatmeal as well. I don't. I drink mostly water, so I don't just sit down and have a glass of milk very often. Yeah, me neither. Uh, but if you're wanting something. Yeah, sometimes I want something thick. So if if I was doing that, the cashew milk, which is probably why the nut milk that's popular right now, what's it called? What's the famous nut milk? Oh, almond milk? Yes. That's probably why almond milk is so popular. <laughs> uh, listeners, I just woke up. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, the last one. This was an unmitigated disaster. This was the chickpea milk. Oh, yes. And <laughs> I remembered at the end that I hate chickpeas. I kind of forgot. And then I was making it and I smelled it and I was like, oh yeah, I am not a fan of chickpea, but I've gone too far now. <laughs> I kept straining them through the cheesecloth and it kept just being so thick. It was like mashed potatoes. It was so, I was like, dad, what do we do with this? Can we turn it into a sauce or something? And he was like, maybe, but it was just, there was so much of it and it was just so much trouble. And I really didn't want to eat it. It was so... Ugh. I did try it and I tried mixing it with different stuff. I put powdered chocolate in one batch just to see. No, that made it so much worse. Don't do that. It oh, made God. it so much worse. Uh, I googled whether dogs could eat chickpeas and the answer was yes. So we tried to give like the plain chickpea stew that I made to the dogs and they were like, nah. <laughs> so I'll be honest, the chickpea milk went in the bin. Sorry. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so that was my challenge. I would say limited success. Um, what did you end up doing? Uh, I make oat milk a lot of the time, actually. I usually about once a week. If I'd known that, I should have asked you to like help. No, me. no. <laughs> I mean, part of the fun is trying new things, I think. I had already made oat milk in the past, so maybe I'll, I'll 
give everybody my recipe because it usually comes out pretty well. The challenge that I did actually was trying to make cashew cheese. So we'll talk about that a little bit. But first, just for the oat milk, um, I always find, so I'm going a bit based on this food blogger that I follow. Um, her name's Cookie and Kate, but I have made a few modifications to the recipe. So if you check out her recipe, it's perfectly great, but I've just changed the process in a way that I think works for me a little bit. So basically you start with just rolled oats. Um, however much you decide to put in, you just have to, to know to add twice as much water. So I usually go with a cup of oats and I just soak that for, you only really need 15 minutes, but usually I'll do it while I'm cooking something else. So I'll just leave it for like 15 minutes to an hour, whatever's convenient for me. Then after that, you drain it um, through a strainer and rinse it quickly. And then you just put the oats into a blender, add twice as much water. So if you did one cup of oats, two cups of water. And then I usually add just a little bit of salt, uh, cinnamon, and maple syrup. I just find that the combination of things makes it taste better. But you could, in theory, add like, you're saying honey and vanilla, and that also sounds great. Pretty much anything that'll taste good in an oatmeal will taste good in an oat milk. I think that's a good rule of thumb. Uh, then you just blend it all together. I usually blend it for about a minute, sometimes a little bit longer, but basically until it looks smooth. Uh, then you just strain it through a fine mesh strainer. I find that easier to work with than a cheesecloth. So that may have been where some of your issues. Yeah, cheesecloth, I did not care for, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah. It was not, I was like, I hate this. What else am I going to use with this cheesecloth for? Yes. Because I am never <laughs> using it again. And then I found a really good one the next time I went to Bulk Barn that was like a bag. And I was like, this would be so much easier <laughs> than this flat cloth I've been trying to, it was awful. Yeah. Kristen, I can't tell you what a mess my kitchen was. <laughs> Yeah. So if you just have like a fine mesh strainer, that's actually so much easier because it all just collects in the basket. <laughs> so I usually strain it twice or three times, actually. So I'll just strain it and then you you get like most of the silt out the first time. So it'll go through easily the second time. And then basically I want it to just pour through and then I know I'm, I'm done straining and it, then it just goes into like a mason jar or whatever and you just have to shake it before you use it. I find that it usually comes out pretty well. So Oat milk, you can make pretty easily. I think it's probably the easiest of the alternative milks to make from home, and it's also pretty cheap, so would recommend. Other than pumpkin seed, which you don't need to strain at all, <laughs> apparently. But yes, I also tried something new new for this uh, challenge, and that was trying to make vegan cheese, which I had never consumed before, let alone made, so I was in for a bit of a surprise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I... I looked online and I tried to find like the easiest like vegan cheese recipe because there are some that have like a whole bunch of ingredients to I don't know to constitute the cheese that I just didn't recognize there were these long ingredients that I knew would be hard to find in a grocery store so I was a little intimidated by that um, but I eventually found a recipe for herbed cashew cheese from a blogger vegan blogger called Blissful Basil and it involved all ingredients that I recognized. So I thought, I'll go with this one. <laughs> like when you're making alternative milks, making an alternative cheese starts with soaking a thing. So in this case, I was soaking cashews and I soaked them for a pretty long time. I think the recipe said at least four hours. I think I soaked it for five hours. <laughs> I wanted to give myself an extra one hour window just in case. And then basically you just blend it in a food processor for a really long time. So the recipe called for you to blend it with a few other things like nutritional yeast or nooch, <laughs> as people call it. Oh, I don't care for that nickname. Nooch. 
Nooch, nooch. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, boy. Was that a bad hockey reference that you just did? No, no. It's uh, like actually people do call it nooch. Um. Oh, I thought you were like making fun of nooch like Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Like nooch. Oh, that would be a very Edmonton joke. We were both from Edmonton and neither of us <laughs> lived there. And he is a like B-list hockey player on that team. B-list, please. <laughs> I wouldn't put him as... Oh, I'm sorry. He's on the Oilers, so he's A-list. Yes, just because thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, credit where it's due. Don't at me. <laughs> yeah, so. you can at me. I still cheer for the Oilers. So, like, <laughs> I'm going to be... Every time I go to a Canucks game where the Oilers are playing, you know I'll be wearing my jersey. <laughs> okay, so after that little aside there... <laughs> so after you blend it with nooch um, and also, like, some other things, salt, pepper, lemon, garlic, that kind of thing, then you just blend it for like a fucking long time uh, I didn't want to burn out the motor on my blender so <laughs> I did like one minute batches four different times um, and at the end it basically says like keep blending it for a long time until it like starts to form a like a creamy texture which never happened for me exactly but like the texture started to like look a little bit like a grainy goat's cheese basically uh, and I figured yeah this is probably as close as it's gonna get um, so once that was done, you, you then basically just mix it with a bunch of chopped herbs and then it basically just, it looks a lot like an herbed goat cheese. Um, doesn't really hold its structure. Like you wouldn't have like a wheel of it, but if you put it in like a container, it's a nice spread on bread. Um, so then I tasted it. I tried it on its own and it did taste a lot like cheese, but it was a little bit less like unctuous than cheese usually is. And it was a little bit sweeter and tangier. So I found that slightly off-putting on its own, um, perhaps just because, like, what I'm used to. I don't know. Maybe if you've been vegan for many years. Um, I'm only vegetarian, so I do still eat cheese fairly regularly. Maybe if you've been vegan for many years, it, it approximates it enough that it's not off-putting. But for me, I wouldn't eat it on its own. But, like, putting it on crackers or on bread, um, I tried it with some bread, and that was that was perfectly fine. And then the recipe also comes with this tomato jam recipe. The tomato jam was was fucking aces. Um, <laughs> it was really good, um, and it paired really nicely with the with the cheese. It, like because you're expecting so much sweetness from the jam, the sweetness of the cheese wasn't off putting at all. It just tasted like you were having cheese and tomatoes. So very much uh, recommend doing that. The other thing they had that was like optional in this recipe was um, straining it overnight in a cheesecloth in the fridge. I did that, but it did not do anything to tighten up the texture. Like I had it in like a suspended in a bowl in like this cheesecloth. And the next day, like the bowl was totally dry and the cheese felt exactly the same. So <laughs> I'm not sure you need to do it for this recipe. But yeah, that was my that was my all cheese experience. Nice. Nice. I, I appreciate that you went like you've been doing oat milk for so long that my mm -hmm. challenge was like baby steps for you you're like i'm gonna go ahead and make cheese that's pretty cool i like it <laughs> you made so many alternative milks though i've never even tried really any of the ones you did with varying success <laughs> i just buy coconut milk like a chump um so do we want to talk about the ethical considerations of different alternative milks yes which one is best Kristen? please tell me <laughs> so uh we one of the things that we wanted to do with this podcast is to not when we're talking about different ethical issues, not limit ourselves to just one value. Because a lot of times you'll think about something like alternative milk and it's just 
okay, which one uses less water or um, which one's healthiest? Yeah. Um, So what we wanted to do is to sort of look at all of the the different possible values and to see, well, what information is there that says points us in one direction or another? And then people can use that to match it to their particular values, which I, I think for everybody is slightly different. So we're because we focus on ethics, we won't talk too much about health, but that has been a really big discussion when people are debating alternative milks versus dairy milks. That's all I can find online. Like all people want to talk about when I'm looking at like, okay, you know, rice milk versus almond milk. Nobody's talking about, you know, which one uses less land or has better farmers rights. It's always, oh, well, which one's healthier? And when you go into the store, well, first of all, it's nice to make your own stuff, but it's also nice to walk into a store and buy something that's been fortified with B12, right? So Yes, that's true. (laughs) If you're a vegetarian someone with a B12 deficiency. (laughs) Oh, so you gotta, so I would say that like, when you're looking at health, it really comes down to whether or not you want certain vitamins over others, or if you want to make it yourself and you don't need the fortification, which frankly, I'm a fan of. Yes. I would say that's as far as the health debate really needs to go for us. Yeah. And the other thing is like, so if dairy milk is a huge part of your diet, um, it might be worth looking into the nutritional differences between alternative milks because they are not all equal. But if you're like, I think a lot of people and you use milk a little bit in like a smoothie or coffee, it's not really a large enough part of your diet. So it probably doesn't matter that much, to be honest. Having said that, there are certain alternative milks that have like more protein or not. And then if you buy fortified ones, you can get that extra benefit if that's what you're looking for. So like, I don't know, there's lots of information online. <laughs> you can very easily Google it. So do not worry. Um, but let's let's talk about ethics then. So the first uh, the first set of values is animal welfare, and this is more or less straightforward because all of the alternative milks we're talking about are plant based. But it's important to note that that doesn't necessarily mean that alternative milks are vegan, because uh, some may use honey or other animal based substances um, to flavor or sweeten the alternative milk. So it's important to also check that if veganism is really important to you. So usually the company's website will tell you whether their products are vegan or not. But on animal welfare, really, it's just, is it, does it have animals in it? No, then that's probably pretty good for animal welfare. Um, (laughs) Vegans all know this. I mean, in every category, I'm pretty sure that the alternative milks are going to beat out dairy milk. So when it comes to ethics, no matter what you're doing, if you're having one of the alternatives, it's going to be better than having a dairy milk. Honey's not something that I feel really bad about. Maybe we'll do an episode on that one day. But. Yeah. And I think it does depend on like how the like how the bees are harvested. If harvested is the word you use. Um, but anyway, we yeah, we'll talk about that another episode maybe yeah we'll do a whole episode on honey maybe (laughs) bees (laughs) (laughs) um okay so environment is another big one as we mentioned at the beginning um sustainability is one of the big drivers of the alternative milk industry but it's important to note that assessing environmental impact is complicated and you can't just use one single indicator to get a holistic impression of what's environmentally best Also, depending on what is important to you, you might come down more strongly on certain environmental values than others. So what we want to do is to talk about a few of the common environmental indicators that there is information 
about in terms of alternative milks. So the ones we looked at are um, land use, water use, emissions, and energy intensity. So generally speaking, dairy milk fares poorly on all of these environmental criteria when compared to alternative milks. So already by choosing any alternative milk, you are usually doing better. Um, but when you're looking between different alternative milks, there actually are quite a lot of differences and it's not so straightforward all the time. Uh, so let's talk about land use. <laughs> Cultivating a crop takes land and that means diverting land use from other purposes. Uh, so some people might remember over the summer when the Amazon rainforest was burning, a lot of that was due to slash and burn tactics that had to do with agricultural production, um, especially livestock raising. So land use is a big contributor to deforestation and climate change because it essentially requires converting the existing ecosystem, um, so forests or wetlands, um, and those are usually carbon sinks, so they take in carbon. Um, and then instead, you're, you're then producing something that creates carbon, so it's bad for climate change. There can also be social justice issues. Um, so, for example, if agricultural land pushes people out of their communities, um, and agricultural land use is a big challenge in part because of its scale. So a uh, fact that I came across is that agriculture covers about 40% of the world's land area. So almost half of the land on the planet is going to growing crops or animals. Um, so that's pretty big. So if you're concerned about environmental issues, it's best to support an alternative milk that requires relatively less land to grow. Um, and on land use, all four of the mainstream non-dairy milks do pretty well. They're all substantially better than dairy. Um, and the four main non-dairy milks, which are rice milk, soy milk, oat milk, and almond milk, all require relatively similar amounts of land to produce. So oat and soy milk use slightly more land than rice and almond milk, but it's not a big difference. Uh, there have also been some recent reports about deforestation and the di displacement of indigenous peoples as a result of soy farming. So that's a big concern, but it's also um, important to keep in mind that about 90% of soybean crops actually go into animal feed. So most of the land displacement that's coming from soy is actually consumed indirectly in the form of chicken, pork, beef, farmed fish, eggs, and dairy. So if you are concerned about land displacement from soy, first cut out those things from your diet because that's where most of the soy is coming from. Your double soy latte <laughs> isn't making a huge Yeah, it's, it's not the soy you're consuming that's causing that. It's the meat that people are consuming. So land use is also connected to other environmental consequences like fertilizer runoff, which can pollute drinking water and accel accelerate um, something called eutrophication, um, which basically just means like algal blooms. If you see lakes that are covered in like green algae or whatever. That's um, oftentimes from fertilizer runoff. Um, so oat milk is actually an interesting alternative milk from that perspective um, in terms of soil sustainability, because some experts are arguing that biodiversity and crop rotations can actually help farmers to use less pesticides. So you ha have less runoff and you get fewer algal blooms. So right now, um, the two sort of staple crops that are typically in rotation in the United States, it's basically just corn and soybeans that are, that are in that rotation. And some experts are saying, well, if you add a third crop like oats, which can be grown pretty much anywhere, that can actually introduce really big improvements for water pollution, soil erosion, and crop yield. So, you know, a really big oat milk market might actually have some huge runoff benefits by changing the way that farmers are farming. So that's kind of a cool idea. All right, emissions. <laughs> so emissions uh, 
are another sort of important thing to look at from the perspective of climate change. So food production is responsible for about a quarter of all human-produced greenhouse gas emissions. And dairy milk produces more than double the greenhouse gas emissions of its non-dairy counterparts per glass. So that's according to a calculator that the BBC made based on um, a study by two researchers named Poor and Nemesek at Oxford University. So really, the contest is not close between dairy and alternative milk on emissions. It is much better to choose any alternative milk. You will have your emissions, basically. But amongst the different non-dairy alternatives, there are some minor differences. So rice milk is sort of at the high end and almond milk is at the low end. But again, like land use, um, these emission rates are pretty similar. There's not a huge, huge difference. So right now is sort of some conflicting trends, but really alternative milks in any form are doing a lot better than dairy milk, and there's not a huge difference between them. But water footprint is the big differentiator. (laughs) (laughs) I was just about to say, so pick whichever one you think tastes best. I was wrong. Jokes. Almond milk sucks. (laughs) That's a bit of a spoiler alert for this section, but water footprints... (laughs) So a water footprint basically just measures the amount of water that's used to produce each of the goods and services that we use. So it's an important measure to think about because a lot of our water usage comes from indirect sources. So the water that's used to make the things that we buy, basically. And it's especially important when we're talking about food um, because about 90% of the water that a person consumes comes from the food that they eat or from the water that's used to make the food they eat. So if you're looking at reducing your water footprint, Taking shorter showers makes a difference, but the biggest difference um, is if you change your your eating habits, actually, because most of your water footprint's coming from there. So we might drink three liters of water each day, but the average water footprint for a Canadian is 6,392 liters per day, most of that coming from your your food and the water that's used to create it. That's wild. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, a lot of water. Um, so water footprint is a big differentiator for alternative milks. So although almond and rice milk still have a smaller water footprint than dairy milk, so again, if you're drinking either of those, you are still doing better than somebody that's drinking dairy milk on this metric. But they are a lot thirstier than soy or oat milk. So a single glass of almond milk requires 74 liters of water to produce, which is more than a typical shower. Um, And that's because of the water intensity of the crop itself. So almonds require six times more water to grow than oats. Are they growing in a a lake or something? Like what's... (laughs) I need to go to an Um, almond farm. They're trees, actually. I'm not sure why they require so much water. Um, Yeah, under-researched, clearly. Oh my God, duh, of course they're trees. Oh my God, I'm so dumb. (laughs) This is what makes this podcast charming. (laughs) I'm (laughs) the layman and you are the academic. No, this would be so boring if I was just reading. So, uh, (laughs) I mean, maybe now is a good time to mention that Kristen is about to obtain her PhD (laughs) and I never finished my second year of university. (laughs) So I can be the gateway person and you can be the smart person. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. I just did a lot of research for this one. Almonds grow on trees. I feel like doesn't need to be (laughs) like a major. I actually, you know what? I I don't know a lot about how the food I eat grows. So. Oh, thank you. Um, You're so kind. (laughs) well I think that's part of the problem right like we show up at a grocery store and like things are just there and I'm like all right take my like package of pre-cut like Brussels sprouts or whatever Ooh, or like you can get all you can get pistachios pre-shelled now even so (laughs) (laughs) yeah so like how would you know you know Um, but anyway 
as with a, a lot of environmental metrics, um, for water footprint, it also matters a lot where the crop is produced. Um, and that's another thing, in addition to just the general amount of water it takes to grow an almond, um, the place that almond milk is, or that almonds are grown, um, also puts it on sort of the bad side of the ledger. Um, so almonds are a water intense crop that is produced almost exclusively in California, which is a region that is at a high risk of droughts. Um, so that is not good. And, uh, unlike a lot of crops, so if you have like a wheat field or whatever, and there's a really bad drought, the farmer can be like, all right, not happening this year. We're just going to leave this crop fallow and we'll try again next year when there's hopefully some water. Uh, you can't do that with almond milk or with almonds because almonds grow on trees and the trees will die if they don't get water. So you have to water them even in a drought year. Otherwise, you're fucked. Do you know how old an almond tree has to be before it can produce almonds? I don't. That would be a fun fact, though. <laughs> yeah, because trees have to be a certain number of years old before they can even produce. So if you lose your, your crop and you have to start from scratch... I mean, you've lost a couple of years, I would think, unless I, I would know. It's got to be a couple of years because trees don't usually start fruiting for a while. I don't know. I'm so, I, I say that like I know anything about trees. No, that sounds right. But I don't know the specific number. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a really big problem. So you can you have like here's this water intensive crop that's growing in a region that is prone to droughts and you have to water it in drought years. So it's. It's not great. Um, and the sort of contrast with oat production is pretty strong because you can grow oats in a lot of different places and they take a lot less water to grow. So there's sort of a really clear distinction there. I don't know a lot about how soy grows, but it's also less water intensive. So presumably would also be pretty good. I have no idea how so soy grows. Does it grow on bushes? Is it like a tuber? Oh my God. I don't know where my food comes from, Kristen. I need to Google this stuff. I don't know. I, I only learned about almonds. <laughs> no, but uh, but I think water footprint is sort of the big differentiator when it comes to alternative milks, and it really should steer people away from almond milk, which if people were already sort of interested in alternative milks, they may have come across because when almond milk first got really popular, there were a lot of people being like, alternative milks, they're so awful because almonds take a lot of water, which is, a, it's a true point, but also like they use less water than does dairy milk. So if you're just trying to use that to justify dairy milk, that's a bad argument. <laughs> <laughs> but if we're looking between alternative milks, yeah, you could use soy or oat milk and and even rice milk was less water intensive than almond milk. So, you know. Which I'm surprised at because rice needs to grow in like puddles. <laughs> yeah. and But at least rice, like rice can grow various different places and places where you usually have a lot of water. So. That's true. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. <laughs> well, okay. So then what, what, what milk is the best? Oh, we've still got more factors to think through, Kyla. Oh, my God. <laughs> Being ethical is hard, Kristen. I feel like that's going to be my catchphrase. <laughs> okay, what else is there? Um, so the last environmental metric is energy use. Uh, unfortunately, this is not one that is commonly included in discussions on alternative milks. So we weren't really able to find anything on the relative energy intensity of making alternative milks. Maybe in the future, that will be something that people look into. But for now, it can't be a way you differentiate the environmental impacts. So last uh, section is labor and human rights, um, which is, I think, pretty important. Um, it is something that is quite often ignored when we talk about alternative milks. So 
I'm not going to have that many clear answers, but I tried to sort of do my best in researching it. Um, so most of the information that's out there on non-dairy milk focuses on health and environmental sustainability. Um, it was difficult to find information on labor and human rights, even though we do know that agricultural workers can experience some of the most difficult working conditions in the world. So this should be an important concern. There's just a, a dearth of information out there. Well, and it's hard even when I was making uh, my own stuff. It's it's hard to know where where is the stuff that I'm buying coming from? Like even at Bulk Barn, which I don't know how good Bulk Barn is. I'll probably do more research on them as we continue this podcast because I do go to them for a lot of my ingredients. But I don't know. Like sometimes they'll put like, oh, this was sourced from this country, but they don't for everything. And I don't know. And even if I do know, I'm like, well, what brand is this? Who farmed it? Yes, it's so hard to know. But I mean, I'll just make a case for why you should care about labor as when you're choosing an alternative milk. So there are 1.3 billion people, which is approximately a third of the global workforce that are employed as agricultural workers. And agricultural workers are often employed informally, they're often paid poorly, and they are often subject to very unsafe work practices. And they are somewhat ironically amongst the most food insecure people. People that grow our food are also the most food insecure, which really I think is fucked. Um, so more than 170,000 agricultural workers are killed doing their jobs every year. And the risk of a fatal accident is twice as high in food production than in any other sector, according to the UN Special Rapporteur on the Right to Food. So although most of the agricultural workforce is employed in developing countries, um, working conditions are also a concern in wealthy countries who draw on temporary migrant workers for a lot of their workforce. That is for sure true in both Canada and the United States. Well, and when I was living in Australia for a year, um, I heard that the Australia is a complicated one, actually, because to get a second year um, on your working holiday visa, you have to do three months of farm work, essentially. And oh, interesting. I, yeah, um, which I think it's first of all, it's kind of cool because it gets people to go work out on the farms and it, it's, it gives labor to farm owners. But I remember talking to a bunch of people who did it. I didn't personally do it. One year was enough for me. Sorry, Australia. You're great, but I was ready for something else. The people I spoke to had such varying degrees of experiences. Some people had great experiences and it was fantastic. Uh, some people got paid. Some people didn't get paid. Some people had terrible living conditions. And I think for the most part, Australia is one of the better countries for this because because that they do rely on people who come to their country on working holiday visas. I don't know. Like, maybe they're not. I, I Just my impression of it was that, wow, this is probably one of the better countries and people are still miserable doing this work. Yes. Yeah. And I know Canada has fairly good seasonal worker programs on the books. Um, so part of the challenge is just that temporary foreign workers um, don't always know their rights. And so these laws don't get enforced because we don't have enough people to that, that are employed to enforce the laws. So you can have really nice uh, labor protections on the books, but if they're not being enforced, it becomes a really big differentiator. Like one farm might follow all the rules to the letter and do a really good job of protecting their workers, whereas another one might just say, eh, you're going to be working overtime. I'm not going to be paying you for it. And if nobody's checking on that and it's a complaints-based process where you have vulnerable people that don't know how to advocate for their rights and maybe don't speak the language very well, that can be a big problem. Uh, and then, <laughs> then just throw in the states as 
an even bigger problem. <laughs> well, and aren't a lot of the people who work on farms often undocumented workers? So then they wouldn't feel comfortable reporting bad working conditions because then they would be deported. Isn't that? I think that's a bigger problem in the States than it is in Canada, but I'm sure it happens um, here too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I know that it's an issue I've heard in the United States, but I guess I'm not an expert on it. But I, that would be probably similar in Australia or any other country that's supposed to have really good workers' rights. If you're if you're employing undocumented workers, they're not going to complain about whatever you're doing. Yeah. I mean, from what I was able to find online, and I definitely am not an expert on this issue, it was just Googling, uh, but most of the the labor concerns seem to be around how um, temporary foreign workers are treated. So they do have some kind of status, you know, at least in, in the Canadian context. In the United States, absolutely, undocumented migrant workers is a huge problem and probably the largest area of concern for agricultural workers. In Canada, I think it's um, a lot that temporary foreign workers are just sort of treated like shit um, and don't have recourse to to know or advocate for their rights because nobody nobody tells them, you know. If anyone listening knows more about this, please reach out to us because yeah. we are curious. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, generally speaking, crops like almonds and oats are less labor intensive to harvest than fruits. Um, so like avocados, things like that. Um, so you don't need as many laborers to actually be involved in the harvest. So it may mean that there's less sort of temporary work that happens. I'm, I had a really hard time finding out details about this, though. But there are still some significant labor concerns, and it's an area that seems to be missing, as I've mentioned. One thing that I was able to find was that in 2008, workers at the Sacramento Blue Diamond Growers plant, so they're the, the almond milk, one of the almond milk producers, they tried to unionize and they were um, reportedly subject to intimidation by the company when they were trying to do that. So union issues are also something you have to take into consideration. And that's, I imagine, quite brand driven. Um, having said that, there were some positive stories that I was able to find. Largely, it's just Oatly. Oatly is awesome. Oatly. <laughs> <laughs> I already knew this one. Oatly is CRAV certified or K-R-A-V. I don't know if you're supposed to say it or spell it, but mm -hmm. they're produced by Swedish oat producers who are ostensibly treated very well. Yes. So CRAV is basically, it's a third party organic standard. So the way organics works in the European Union is different than how it works in Canada or the States. Um, Canada and the United States have like their own national organics logos. So you can see like USDA organic or Canada certified organic or whatever. You can see those logos. Um, so in the EU, if you want to have organic certification, there are certain standards that are recognized um, as meeting the EU's regulations on organics. So CRAV is a third-party standard that meets EU organics uh, regulations. Um, it also has, um, which I think is pretty cool, CRAV also has labor and human rights provisions in there. So they have requirements for things like adequate housing conditions for migrant workers. So if you're eating um, uh, or if you're drinking oat milk from Oatly and you see the crab certification, you can feel pretty good about how the workers are treated that are supplying the oats that are made there. Man, I hope I can find Oatly here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go looking for it. We might have, well, we might have editing Kyla pop in <laughs> over yeah. top of us here just to be like, just uh, so everyone knows, I found Oatly at Whole Foods. <laughs> Fingers crossed that happens. <laughs> yes. 
Hey, future Kyla here popping in to say that tragically, Oatly does not seem to be available where I am, but I found an alternative called Earth's Own that seems like it's going to fill the void. Its product advertising is at least as punny as uh, Oatly's was, so that's something. Um, There's another brand I want to give a quick shout out to for labor. Um, It's a new brand called Rebel, R-E-B-B-L, which makes... um, plant-based elixirs um so there's like those fancy seven dollar drinks which like you can think that's too bougie and not want to buy it but they are pretty good in terms of ethically sourcing their primary ingredients so they don't use a specific certification scheme but they do um ensure that their workers are all paid well in their supply chain so and that costs money. they're trying to pay for that yeah yeah exactly it's not cheap so if you are sort of interested in their products, you can also feel good about the labor that goes into that. Otherwise, it's a bit of a question mark. (laughs) (laughs) My educated guess is that if you're buying like a Canadian oat, you are probably doing okay on labor just because my, from what I understand, it's mostly farm workers that are Canadian for the most part that are harvesting because you can mostly do it with machines. Having said that, if somebody knows more about oat production and wants to correct us on that, please do. Well, and also when you're buying from locally sourced ingredients, I mean, we didn't have very much information on energy and emission, but just from not having had it shipped over from Asia, you can assume that you're using less energy and emissions, right? So especially if you're if it's um, from like a grid that's more renewable based, better energy use. Which I think Ontario is is pretty good at um, using renewable sources right now, aren't they? Yeah, there's a lot of hydropower in Ontario. So really, <laughs> if you're outside of Alberta, your energy grid is like starting to look pretty good for most Canadians. Whoa, bonuses. is that some shade? <laughs> no, I'm, I mean, I understand it. If you've got a resource in the ground, um, especially one that starts like really producing in like the 80s, yeah, get people like cheap power. We didn't really know much about climate change back then. But the path dependence of the oil industry, unfortunately, means that it's harder to get things like solar off the ground there, even though Alberta would be fucking great for solar energy. So they really should. Oh, it would be so uh, good. And wind energy, I would think. You know what? We yeah. should do a whole episode on this. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, back to alternative milks. Um, Which so- one's best? Which one's best? Which one's best? So I, I think from my for my money, the, the winner is oat milk. Um, so it's become the darling of non-dairy milk advocates. And I think there's a pretty good reason for it. It has three times the protein of almond milk and twice the fiber. It uses less water, grows in more places. If it becomes a staple crop, which you would need a lot more people to drink oat milk than they do for that to happen. But if it did, there would be benefits for um, agriculture um, just in terms of crop rotations I'm pro oat milk. All right. Plus oat it tastes milk, really it good. Is. <laughs> yes. Oh, it does. It tastes so good. It ta- I like it so much better than almond milk and soy milk, which for a long time were the only options. And now I can drink my delicious oat milk if I can find it. I couldn't find any in salmon arm. But now, Shocker. Yeah. Now that I, I mean, I just got to Vancouver like a couple of days ago. So maybe today after we're done recording, I'll head out and see if I can't hunt, hunt something down. If you go to literally any cafe in Vancouver... <laughs> Fantastic. Can tell you. I love it. Okay. Well, is that the end of our episode? Yeah, I think so. Our call to action this week is everybody go out and buy some oat milk so that they start producing more of it. (laughs) (laughs) And also you can contact us at our Twitter handles. We're at pullback podcast. 
or what's your Twitter handle? I am at Kristen Pugh, uh, so K-R-I-S-T-E-N-P-U-E. Yeah, so at her if you have something to say about the Oilers. <laughs> Don't add me. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. Uh, you can contact us as well on Instagram at Pullback Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. If you like this, then share it with your friends, uh, subscribe, and like us on iTunes. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Are we going to do, or do you want to be like Madonna and we don't have last names? All right. (laughs) I'm not cool enough to be Madonna. (laughs) Okay.